Okay, good morning. Um, so we're going to be actually br breaking into today the topic. Um, I'm just going to warn you, we're doing a little structural stuff next week on Vayikra, but it's not going to be boring. I think it'll actually make a lot more sense of a very technical book. No, you say Vayikra, everyone just like, you know, mental note, don't show up next class. Um, but we are going to be doing some very, very interesting structural things next week, and we're going to be talking really what I mentioned, what I sort of alluded to last class, which is how the um, rituals in Vayikra really are more than just technicalities, but they're ways in which the Torah articulates certain values within the society, and we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, I have to ask, we have to ask a really, really important question, right? We made a big deal about how um, the temple in Israel, we spoke when we spoke two classes ago about the idea of space and sacred space. And we said that the space... Sorry, I didn't get that, that one. Sp sacred space. When we talked, uh, it was last class or two classes ago? Two classes ago. Um, about the idea that the space, as we understand it in Tanakh, is not from primordial, the time before time, but it's really just something that we create when, in where we travel and the Asuli Mikdash, Vishachanti Vitocham. Um, but then what we have to sort of ask, which is all of those ideas were nice and all of those ideas were important, but then we spend all of Sefer Vayikra, and, so, sorry, excuse me, a bulk of Sefer Shmot, almost all of Sefer Vayikra, and then a little bit of Sefer Bamidbar on the topic of the Mishkan, right, and how we are going to utilize the Mishkan and the purpose it's going to serve within, our, within the people and how it's going to function. And so what I want to talk about a little bit today um, is going to redefine how we think of the Mishkan, and it's certainly going to make it or set it aside from the way that other ancient groups would think of, and not just ancient, by the way, anyone, any people that sacrifice until today, I think in a lot of ways still conceive of God and of their gods in a way that the Torah makes very clear our Avodah in the Mishkan is sort of set aside and different from that. So one of the first, when we talk about the, in, the temples in general, one of the things, and we mentioned how this is not the case in the Torah, is that the creation stories in the ancient world, so you have, for example, let's say the um, ancient epic where Marduk is appointed the head of the pantheon after he's able to suppress Tiamat, those ferocious, chaotic forces of water. And after he's able to do that, and after the world is created, does anyone know what happens at the end of the creation epic? They build a temple in a segila. And that is where Marduk is going to be housed. Okay, that is the enthronement. It's almost as if the entire world was created so that Marduk can be enthroned in this temple in Babylon. Okay, and so one of the things that's interesting, I'm going to point this out just because it's something I think we rarely ever pay attention to and think of. Um, in Tanakh, I just need a marker. Um, we do have one allusion to the equivalent of Hashem defeating the other deities, proving himself prime deity or superior to all other gods, and then an enthronement of God. Hmm? Uh, in Egypt, doesn't he, he, uh, he sends, he has Aaron with his um, the staff and it changes and it, Okay, the so others. there's no question, right, that we met, and one of the things, I don't think we spent a lot of time on it really in, in Yitziat Mitzrayim, but one of the things that was taking place over the course, right, the months leading up to Yitziat Mitzrayim, is Hashem proving that he is more powerful than the other gods, and we talked about how all the other, not in this course, I think in previous courses, how the other gods were defeated through the series of Makot. 
certainly true. So when does God become enthroned? Meaning, when does it all culminate? Okay, excellent. So many of the creation epics are, if we remember, the suppression of the chaotic forces of water and the God is able to reign supreme. And if we look in Shemot for one second, it's one of the few um, only, actually, references. We're going to see one other reference in Tehillim to this concept. Go to Shirat Hayam in Sefer Shemot, Perak Tetvav. It's a pasuk we say every morning, and we actually, I think, it's one of those psukim that despite the fact that we say it so often, we rarely think about its significance or its context, right? Context is the number one thing we always have to think about when we just rattle off psukim. So go to Perak Tedvav in Shemot, pasuk yud, um, start with pasuk yud alef even, okay? Because this is where essentially Shirat Hayam was not just about saving us, Right? It was about proving something about Hashem. So, Pasuk Yud Aleph, we say, Michamocha Beilim Hashem. Who is like you among the gods? Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh. Norati Lot Osefele. Right? So, it's a praise of God that He's more, He is wholly different and distinct from all the other gods. Natita Yimincha Tivla Emo Aretz. Right? He say, it's saying the earth was sort of, you put your hand out and the earth is swallowed. Nachita bechastecha amzu ga'alta nehalta b'azcha el nevei kadshecha. So it's listing all these wonderful things that God does in his ruling of the world. And then it says, Shamu amim yirgazun chil achaz yoshei All the other nations are going to be fearful and terrified. Tipol alehem neimata v'fachad, which is the purpose of all of this, right? That the other nations should also hear of God and know of his glory. And jump down to pasuk. Yud Zayin, Tvi'im, what is the culmination? So it's nice that all the other nations know about God, but to what end? Here it is. Tvi'imo v'tita imo, behar nachalatcha, machom l'shivtcha, pa'alta Hashem. Mikdash Hashem koninu yadecha, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed. God's Hashem's ability to defeat the chaotic forces of water, which proved as the sort of culmination of everything all those earlier months had been leading up to, is that God is going to be enthroned in his Mikdash. And by the way, until Hashem says, this is the only time we hear about the idea of Mikdash. It only appears in this poetic form where we're talking about, where we're, or where B'nai Yisrael are articulating this concept of Hashem as be, being proven as the head deity. Okay? I'll give you one other pasuk, again, that's really, really interesting, because it's a pasuk that I think some of us are familiar with, but again, when we realize how, the, how profoundly the issue of temple and creation are connected in ancient texts, then we realize why the poets, Right? Why, in this case, the Mishorer and Tehillim is making this connection. Go to Tehillim Chavtet, chapter 29. And just, look, again, look at these words that we don't pay enough attention to, but it's a fascinating link. And by the way, I've said this numerous times. Tehillim and the Nevi'im Achronim are sometimes the greatest resource for understanding not how Hashem presents things to us, Right? That's where we go to the Torah, how Hashem speaks about ideas, but how people thought of these ideas. Because Mishorer and a poet and a Navi who's trying to make his words resonate are going to utilize all the images that were prevalent in the ancient world. Yeah? So I'm a little confused. When you bring in um, 
ancient cultures? What came first, the ancient cultures or us? And if they came first... The ancient cultures. We came onto the scene, Hakananiyaz Ba'aretz. Right. So why then do we have to model our... It's not modeling so much as, right, I'll give a, I've given this example before and obviously right? when I was little they used to give out in elementary school, um, now I'm not even, I think it was Olamenu, right, these little Jewish magazines that were for orthodox kids in the yeshiva system and they had Menzel the mouse who was the superhero and he wore a cape but his superpower was the mitzvot that he did. Now again, lahavdil, because that's not divine, it's olamenu, but it's not about ma mimicking, right? It's not about copying. It's about Hashem, it's about an entire worldview, an entire conception, right? The same way I speak today about Hashem, and if I speak today, let's say, about God and science, okay? It's because I perceive the world through a scientific lens. So I need to understand God through science. Right? In the ancient world, this was how they understood everything. Hashem needed to speak. When it says, Hashem needed to communicate things in a way that it made sense to the ancient mind. Right? It's not about copying, not copying. It's, you can't speak in, in terminology that makes no sense to your audience. Right? Um, but again, one of the things that we're always looking at in these classes is on the one hand speaking in a way that resonates with the human beings that are receptive to the message, but at the same time, how does Tanakh tweak its messages so that it is different, right? The packaging is the same, the message is different. Mendel the Mouse looked like a superhero. He wore his, right, his cape and his spandex, but what gave him his powers was his mitzvot, and that's the unique message to the Jewish children, right? Power doesn't come from anything other than the mitzvot that we do, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, yeah? What? what parent? Oh, I thought you were going to ask which Olamene. Chavtet, 29. Pasuk Aleph, it says as follows. Mizmor li David, havu lahashem b'nei elim, havu lahashem kavod va'oz. Okay, all, now it's interesting, again, this is a topic that we should probably cover a different time, but so often, Prakim in Tanakh, we just saw it in the, in more sh in the Shiratayam. It didn't say there are no other gods. It said Hashem is more powerful than all the other forces in the world. Here too, it's calling on all the Elim to join in in praising Hashem. Okay, so we'll do that maybe at a Yom Yun one time. What do we do when Tanakh is speaking about all these other gods? And it goes on. Havu Hashem kavod shimo, hishtachavu Hashem behadrat kodesh. Kol Hashem al hamayim, El hakavod hirim, Hashem al mayim rabim. Kol Hashem bakoach, kol Hashem behadar, kol Hashem shover arazim, vayishaber Hashem et arzei halivanon. And it goes on and on and on. And it's listing all of these wonderful ways how God proved himself. And then jump down to Pasuk uh, Tet, verse 9. Kol Hashem yicholel ayalot, vayachesofi arot, right? All the things Hashem's presence does, it strips forests and it kulo omer kavo. And that's why in his temple they will all say, right, this is sort of God's, this, they will recognize God's glory. Hashem lamabul yashav vayeshev Hashem melech leolam. When did God become enthroned? 
after the Mabul. And again, Mabul is this symbolic way of speaking about Hashem proving himself to be the supreme deity. So these are the illusions that are mentioned in Tanakh, but again, when it's mentioned in poetic form, it's more a way of the Mishorim, Am Yisrael in the case of Yamsuk, or the Mishorim Lim articulating how Hashem is so great and so wonderful. The question that we have to go back to, though, is the idea that we spoke about, which is that our temple seems to be different, because when Hashem talks about a temple and when Hashem tells us about space, it's not conceived of as this place that was chosen from the beginning of time or as the place, right? Hashem never says, V'asuli mikdash, as an enthronement after all these miracles I did for you, right? Hashem says, V'asuli mikdash, V'shachanti v'tocham, and here's how it's supposed to run. So what we want to look at is, aside from all of these other sort of associations with creation and with God being supreme, what is, the ta- what is the Tanakh, specifically as we're going to see in Sefer Vayikra, talking about when it talks about the, um, the Mishkan? So let's start. One of the first and most obvious links that the Tanakh makes, go to Shemot Lamed Aleph. And this many of us know, and we know it actually because of the way that Chazal create the connection between the rules of Shabbat, the Lamed Tet and the building of the Mishkan. Okay, there's, there's, if we go to Shemot Lamed Aleph, 31. Verse two, uh, so start from the beginning. Okay, it says, Hashem is going to inspire or give this sort of divine inspiration to Bitzalel. He's going to build the Beit HaMikdash. And it goes on and lists all those beautiful vestments that are going to go in the Mishkan that Bitzalel is going to be charged with building. And then, without skipping a beat, Pasuk Yudet, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe Lemor. Ve'ata, and, as in continuation, Tidaber El Bnei Yisrael Lemor, Achit Shabtotai Tishmoru, Ki Othi Veni Uveinechem Lidorotechem, so now there's a strange juxtaposition, right? It seems like a non sequitur. Build this beautiful Mishkan, and, and again, there's no mention in the Torah of Lamitet Melachot. Okay, so let's put that aside just for now. Let's look at what's going on here in the text. So Hashem is telling him he's going to build the Beit HaMikdash, and then it jumps to the Brit of Shabbat. Shabbat is a covenant between God and the people that what? To know that I am the God that sanctified you, that set you aside from all the other nations. You gotta be careful, right? There's a death penalty. Shabbaton, Kodesh Lashem, etc. etc. And then it goes on and it says, right, Pasuk Tetzayin, Tashabat. Why? Okay, now so we are keeping Shabbos to remind there's two, it's almost like a twofold reasoning. On the one hand, we do the is between us and Hashem that we know Hashem is the one that was, did, did this haktasha, set us aside. But then it's also otile olam. It's a sign for the world. What's the sign? Ki sheshet yamim asa Hashem et ha-shamayim et ha-aretz 
וביום השביעי שבת וינפש. וייתן השם אל משה כחלות לדבר איתו בהר סיני שני לוחות העדות לוחות אבן כתובים באצבע אלוקים. Okay, so there's this association which we're not really sure what to make of yet between the Mishkan and so it's Shabbat and let's it's Shabbat which comes hand in hand with what? Briyata Olam. Okay. Sorry, can you give the source again? Sorry. It was where did I just read from? Shmot Lamadav. It's the second half of the paragraph. Okay. So the question is, what is this connection between the Mishkan and Briyata Olam? So there's an even more obvious linguistic connection. Let's go into Breshi, Parak Aleph, Genesis 1. And again, all the things that we're sort of our head, mind is jumping to. Oh, in Kiddush, we talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and we talk about Riyat Allah. All of that is Chazal picking up on everything that we're talking about, right? We're just taking it a step back and saying, why do Chazal link Lamitat Lachot with the Mishkan? Why do Chazal link Riyat Allah with Shabbat, right? All of these. That's me, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Shabbat. Okay, so go to the end of Breshi Aleph, and let's see how the very first, right, Minucha is depicted. End of Parak Aleph in Breshit, start with Pasuk Lamed Aleph, and we're going to read as follows. Um, Vayar Elokim, verse 31, Vayar Elokim et kol asher asa, God looked at everything he did, v'hinei tov me'od. So this we already talked about in the beginning of the semester. God assesses his creations, right? He's turning around, he finished his work, and he turns around to assess everything, and hinei, what does he find? It's all fit to task, it all works. So now God ceases his work. God takes a break from his work or ends his work because all of his creations were complete. So God assesses, and he blesses, and he Vayikadeshoto kivo shavat mikol melachto asher bara elokim laasot. That's a beautiful few psukim. Jump to Shmot Paraglamite, Exodus 39. And we're going to see as follows. Parak uh, Lamitet, it's Pasuk Memgimel, verse 43. And we see as follows. All the, the entire parak leading up is, again, the continuation of the building of all of the furniture and all of the, everything that's going to be inside and utilized in the Mishkan. And then we start with Pasuk Memgimel. Vayar Moshet kol hamlacha. So Moshe does what? He turns around and he assesses kol hamlacha, all of the creative work that was done until now. Right now, a human being can't say tov because we are limited in our scope of understanding. But what's the closest we can get to believing that something is tov? If we do it the way that God intended, right? So the closest parallel, no human being can ever say tov. But we can say we did it the way God intended and hope it's as close to tov as possible. Kasher tziva Hashem, ken asu, vayivarech otam Moshe. And then so God, Moshe turns around and he blesses it. Go to, um, jump down to, 
Ah, I skipped, oh sorry, I skipped the first pasuk. Sorry, go back for one second, just to bet, totally out of order. But it says, The work was done. Okay, so meaning the work was done, and that's when Moshe turns around and assesses everything and looks back. Jump to the next parak, verse, uh, verse 9. So far Moshe assessed, Moshe blessed, and now what is the one thing Moshe still has to do? But how do human beings make something kadosh? Okay, we use a medium that anoints things. If I want to say, you are, yesterday you were a lay person, today you're going to be a king, I have to anoint his forehead with oil. Same thing goes for a kohen, and now as we're going to see, the same thing goes for the physical tabernacle. So everything that Hashem does at the beginning of the world, when he turns around and assesses the world, Moshe is doing with the Mishkan, which gives us the sense that what? What word would you use on some level for the Mishkan? Okay, so it's creation. What else could we say, perhaps? Hmm? The equivalent, I would even say maybe microcosm, right? Okay, so we have, stick with me, we have the world, and we have the Mishkan. Okay, so there are other parallels as well. What happens, um, and it's interesting, Josephus actually has a chapter when he talks about the Mikdash. He actually has a chapter that talks about those ways in which the Mikdash mirrored the earth. But let's just look, go back to Breshid, and I apologize for the flipping back and forth. Go back to Breshid Aleph. We talked about this in the beginning, and we talked about this when we spoke about Axis Mundi and the idea of how we conceive of space. Okay, but let's just read the words carefully because I think it's important to see it inside. Parak Aleph Pasuk Vav. So far, what exists in the world up until Pasuk Vav only? Just what? Water. Water and Ruach Elohim. What? Which means basically the potential for everything, but nothing distinct, nothing sort of set aside or distinguished from other things that it can actually do anything yet. Now, we already discussed this numerous times. Where does Hashem belong? Or where do we conceive of Hashem? Not we postmodern thinkers, but where? Up here. Right? Hashem is up here. Where is man? Down here. And where is, and what, does, what divides the Mayim above and the Mayim below? And by the way, the Mayim below is under the, right? Because that's why it's always threatening to come up and destroy the world. But between the Mayim below and the Mayim above, what, does, what divides us? There's Rakia. We can't see it, we can't touch it. But there's very something very clear partition in the universe that God puts in in Shejim to distinguish between where Hashem is and where we exist. Okay, now jump back to Shmot Parapapav. Sorry, I should have told you to bring bookmarks today so you could flip back and forth. Huh? Chafav, 26. Yep. 
And what do we find? Pasuk Lamed Aleph, verse 31. If this is the Mishkan, and the Mishkan is the world, right? So the Mishkan is where people go, ostensibly, right? Can we go everywhere? No. First of all, only the Kohanim could go here. We stay outside, okay? And read a little bit further. Pasuk Lamed Aleph, verse 31. Viasita parochet chelet vargaman, vitolat shani veshesh mashzar maase choshev yase oto kulim, vinatata ota al arbaa amude shitim mitsupim zahav, vibabe hem zahav, al arbaa anikesav, you're going to weave this beautiful maase choshev, meaning it's going to be this intricate weaving, right? The more, the further into the Mishkan we get, by the way, the more expensive the materials and the more complex, right, the, the, um, the designing of them. And what is the parochet supposed to be distinguishing between? We are here, where is, why are we not, I'll say it like this, why are we not allowed to go into the Kodesh Kodeshim? Because that's where Hashem is. Right? Which is why, for example, on Yom Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol is about to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim, what does he have to do first? He has to light the Ketoret. Why? Because it makes smoke and obscures his vision. A Kohen Gadol, even on Yom Kippur, can't just walk into the, to the Kodesh Kodeshim. And so we have this parokh, and it says, V'samdet ha-shulchan michutz la-parochet, that's the menorah nochach ha-shulchan, al-tzela ha-mishkan teimana, ba-shulchan teitzei. So everything else is here, and Hashem is here. So already we have this sort of buildup of the microcosm that there's a distinction in the Mishkan just like there is in the universe. Okay? The question is, and I actually saw something interesting, which I'm not so sure how much, how real this is, um, but someone mentioned that, the, I think really realistically the colors are just the colors they had access to in the ancient world, but someone suggests that the symbolism of the colors is that it represents all of the different, right? So you have white for air, and you have the blue, uh, excuse me, uh, the earth is white and the air is blue, and then you have the fire is red and water is purple. So all the different elements of the world are also sort of represented in this division between the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshit. Question is, why is any of this important? So it's very nice, it's very cute that there are illusions, linguistic illusions, and that there's nice little structural similarities, but there's a reason Right, meaning the fact that the Mishkan is being described as a mini-universe, it must be telling us something. So what's it telling us? Um, I think Shabbat is more the culmination. So that's definitely true. I'm going to put it on the side. I'm, I'm utilizing Shabbat here more as the culmination of creation right, than anything else, even though for sure in halachic, right, meaning in terms of its halachic implications, it's huge. It defines all of the, the halachot of Shabbat. In a, in, in a physical structure on the earth as opposed to up in the, who knows, like that you can't conceive what is that shamayim, that rakia. But here you have a rakia that you can see. Okay. And a space you cannot enter. Okay, excellent. So hold that. There's definitely something more about the tangible and the imminence and all of that. But I think that there's something else that's also important that we lose sight of 
when we think so much about the korbanot, korbanot are a means to the following, okay? If I asked you, and you're all gonna, anyone who's been in my class at least for one semester knows the answer to this. The nature of our, of the relationship between humanity and God is summed up in what word? One word. Now everyone's nervous. I'm looking at you. After that build up. I haven't been in your class, and I'm guessing people should Okay, covenant, right? We do things, everything that all of our relationships, and we're not speaking just specifically about Israel, we're gonna go all the way, way back. Go to Breshit Vav, at Genesis chapter six. Okay, and Hashem says as follows. The world has, has sort of turned into this horrible, chaotic, full of corruption uh, universe, and Hashem decides he's going to destroy all of it. But then he singles out one guy, because he was Tzadik Tamim B'dorotav, and he singles him out to save him and restart humanity from him. Pasuk Yud Zayin, verse 17 in chapter 6, Hashem says, kol asher Everything Hashem created, every living, being that God created is going to be wiped out. The hakimoti atriti itach, but Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you. What is this covenant saying? Elateva asher banata uvanecha v'ishtecha unshevanecha itach u'mikol hachaya, and then he lists all of the animals that he's going to have to bring. And vayas pasuk chafet verse twenty-two vayas Noah kechol asher tiva uta elokim kein asad. Okay, so what's the covenant? And what's it contingent on? A covenant means there are two sides, two parties. Each party has to fulfill his end of the covenant. Everything in Tanakh, when God is interacting with humanity, is based on covenant. What's the covenant here? You, you, do my will, and you, will you have to get everything into the ark. I will make sure you are immune. Okay, and you are safe. Jump down a little bit further. When Noah gets out, Okay, in Pasuk, what? I have to go. You have to, oh. In Pasuk Chet, verse Chet, and it says as follows. This is, again, of course, after the flood he's getting out. He brings the sacrifice to God. Hashem says, humanity has this penchant for evil. I can't keep destroying him every time he messes up. And so Hashem promises, Hashem promises, from now on, he's not going to destroy the world. The world is going to have to remain, is going to remain as is. He can't just keep hitting reset every time. But what is that contingent on? He gives Noah now the charge that he gave Abraham, Pru, or Vu, Milu'at etc., etc. But jump, then he goes, says as follows, Pasuk Dalid, and we looked at this in the beginning of the semester. You cannot eat animals with blood. And then he jumps to the most important component of that speech. 
The world will keep running. Nature will follow its course if shofech dam ha'adam ba'adam tamo yishafech ki b'tzelem elokim asa et ha'adam. He basically, Noah basically gets the same charge as Abraham. With one caveat. You will only be able to live on this earth if, with what? Universal law. Only if humanity, if human beings can act like human beings, if you don't murder, can you live on this earth? But if you don't follow basic human law, there's nothing. Okay, I can't. Then yeah. That's the seven Noah. So that's what Chazal call the correct. Chazal then are, you know sort of identify what exactly are the Sheva uh, the Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noah. In the in the plain shot, all it is is murder, right? But then Chazal sort of try to try to identify what is the you know what are the basic rules that a society needs in order to you know, to sort of sustain itself. Okay, and then jump down just a little bit further to Pasuk Yud Zayin, because we see something else very, very interesting. It says, um, Hashem says as follows, He makes a rainbow in the sky, and He says to Noah, go to Pasuk Yud Tet Zayin, verse 16. This rainbow is not just between Hashem and Oth. This rainbow is a covenant between God and man. What's the covenant? Act like human beings, and I won't destroy the universe. And it's interesting, we're called basar, which is what we were just allowed to eat, right? We were just given the ability to eat basar because we are essentially basar, but we behave differently than your standard basar because we don't eat the blood. So we have the first brit is a brit of universal law. What's the next brit? I have to erase my pretty pictures. Hold on. Okay, so excellent. So Abraham gets two covenants. What are the two covenants that Abraham gets? Before that. Hold on. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, yes, but wait till the end of class to ask that question. Yes. She said, doesn't, isn't this notion of Hashem is in the heavens and Hashem is just in the Kodesh Kodashim sort of bang, you know, hit up against the notion that Hashem is everywhere? So I'll say two things. I'll say, first of all, yes, but the focus in Tanakh was less on know that I'm everywhere and more exclusively worship me. That's A. But I think we're also going to see that the, the, it's not the perfect parallel. Right? It's not just about access. Okay? So, you know, I'll hold the question if I don't answer by the end of class. Yes? But, uh, um, the heaven, Go to Brishi in the meantime. Yeah. Is God is not a material God. Um, and, and, and that, because the, the, in the heaven, it's, it's just not our type of... God is... is so again, our, when we're talking our, our conception of Hashem is still very different than B'nai Yisrael's conception of Hashem. Hayesh Hashem b'kirbenu im ayin 
They did not know if Hashem was literally there among them, in their midst. And so Hashem had to make an Anan, and Hashem had to make an Amud Eish, and Hashem has to build a Mishkan. Meaning, when we say our, and we say as if the Jewish conception of God's presence has been constant from Yitziat Mitzrayim until now, we have to realize it most certainly has not been, right? Ancient people conceived of God as existing in a place. That's why when Yaakov says, Well, I didn't know, right? Lo yadati yesh elokim hazeh. Well, he, meaning he literally thought this was, he conceived of this as the gateway to heaven. Over time, in some of the later, right, already in Yeshayahu, we see this, and listen, earlier on already, I'll say this, right, Hashem already responds to David, we looked at this in the previous week, I don't need a mikdash, I'm, I'm good to go. And then when Shlomo is dedicating the Beit HaMikdash, he says, Hashem, it's silly, you can't really be contained. And there's hints of it everywhere, it just wasn't the... I guess, new idea that Am Yisrael needed to contend with as much as, wait, we can only worship him. He is the most powerful to the exclusion of all others. Okay, that was, now, again, later on in Yishayahu, it becomes really important. And certainly when we go out to Galut, it becomes even more important because all of a sudden we're in Bavel. So now where is Hashem? So then we need to understand Hashem is everywhere becomes, because it becomes important for our ability to interact with Hashem without access to the temple. Okay, but we can't, we can't imagine for a second that the way the, the person standing at Har Sinai conceived of Hashem and how we conceive of Hashem is identical. It's just, it's just not. Um, okay, go to Breshi Tepa, Genesis 15. The very first covenant Hashem makes with Abraham makes a lot of sense, right? Hashem, Abraham says, Hashem uh, doesn't look like I'm having kids, and the only guy I have hanging around here is Eliezer, and I'm not really sure I want to pass all my, uh, everything I have onto him. And so Hashem says, Pasuk Yuchet, Bayom Hahu Karat Hashem et Avram Brit, Lemor, Lizarachana Tati et Aretazot Min Har Mitzrayim, Adonahar Hagadol Nahar Prat. Abraham gets the covenant that his children are going to live in this land. Okay, and then jump to more prakim. He also gets the covenant to chapter 17. Yeah, sorry, that was my apologies. That was Perak Tetvav. And now we are jumping to Perak Yud Zion, chapter 17. And Hashem says as follows. A Brit is two-sided. In this in this brief, so it's gonna it's gonna follow. I, I'm grouping. I'm lump. I'm gonna put them together in one. So we'll read this, and then I'll I'll tell you what Abram has to do. But that's a really good question. Pasupet ve'etna briti beini uveinecha ve'ar be'utcha bim od me'od va'yipol Abram al panav va'idaberi tolo kim lemor ani hinei briti tach va'itala av hamun goyim v'lo yikaren. He changes his name and he goes on verse seven va'kimoti et briti beini uveinecha uvein zarcha charecha ledorotam livrit olam liot lecha lelo kim ulezarcha acharecha. What does Abraham have to do? His obligation is. Hashem has to be his God. Okay? That's the only thing right now that he has to do. Pasuk Yudatet by Yomer Lokim El Avram, Veatayat Briti Tishmora Tavizaracha Harechaludorotam, Zot Briti Asher Tishmuru Beni Ubeinecha, etc., etc. And of course, the most symbolic gesture of I am now consecrating my child into this relationship with God at an age where he's not yet able to understand, but I, as the parent, am choosing to do this. The sign of the covenant, the equivalent of signing on the dotted line, is Brit Milah. 
Okay, so we have a covenant with Noah, which is universal law. We have a covenant with Abraham that he is going to be the father of a chosen nation living in this place. And then what's the next covenant? Go to Shmot Chapter 24. says as follows. And again, we don't think of it so much, I mean, maybe we, maybe we do, but I feel that oftentimes we miss that the Matan Torah is literally when you, right, when you go to the lawyer's office and you sign the closing, that's what Yitziat Mitzrayim is. Pasuk Perekhav Dalei, Be'el Moshe Amar, Aleil Hashem Ata Ve'aharon Nada Ve'avihu V'shivim Yizekne Yisrael, V'ishtachav Yitzem Merachot. So only Moshe himself can go that close. And he goes and he explains everything that Hashem had already told him. And then next morning, Why is he putting 12 matzevot? And they bring Korbanot right there, by the foot of the mountain. Okay, there's nothing more covenantal than this. He takes half the blood. And where does he put them? Into these sort of basins. So he takes an animal, drips the blood, half of it into these little pools, half of it he, he sprinkles onto the Mizbeah. Vayikach Sefer Habrit, and then he takes the Sefer Habrit. What does that mean? What's the Sefer Habrit? Where he wrote down everything Hashem said. Vayikra boznei ha'am, vayomru kol asher diber Hashem na'aseh nishma. And so what does Moshe do to make it official? Vayikach Moshe et ha'dam, he then takes the blood from those basins that was sitting there, uh, by, sorry, right? Blood, the letting of blood is symbolic in so many places. We're going to talk when we get to Korban Chatat and, and Yom Kippur. Right? Yom Kippur we think of as this beautiful, solemn day. It was filled with blood. The Kohen all day long was just splattering blood everywhere he goes, in the Mikdash, on the... All it is is the splattering of the blood, and we're going to talk about why blood is considered this sort of vehicle for what's being accomplished. But here it is most clearly a covenant signing between the people and Hashem. And if you go just one more, go to Parag Lamedalid, one last example from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and then you're going to put all these pieces together. Parag Lamedalid, chapter 34, verse 27 says as follows, Hashem gave all the mitzvot, and then he says to Moshe, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, k'tav lecha et hadvarim ha'ele, write down everything I said, ki al pi hadvarim ha'ele, karati itcha brit ve'et Yisrael. With you and with the people of Israel, our relationship is based on what? On their willingness to follow these rules. Right? If you're renting a house, you can live in the house as long as you follow all of these things that are outlined in the, the contract between yourself and the owner and vice versa. 
Moshe is up there and he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink for 40 days. And most interesting is as follows. Lechem lo achal, umayim lo shata, vayichtov al haluchot et divrei habrit aseret hadvarim, vayihi begrezet Moshe mihar sinai, shnei luchot ha'idut biyad Moshe, he's holding the two luchot habrit, and he's coming down, but look at what it says, and everyone is looking at him, and he doesn't realize he has these karnot or, jump to Pasuk Lamed Gimel, verse 33, vayichal Moshe midaber itam, he finishes telling everything, he finishes bringing the contract to the people, and then what happens? He put a veil over his face. There was literally a parochet between Moshe's face, which had come that close because he saw Hashem panim el panim, and the people. So this is the third equivalent of a parochet between God and the people and what they have access to. Sorry, where we... Oh, I'm so sorry. Just <laughs> yell at me if I do that again. Uh, it was Pasuk. I was in Parak Lama Dalet, chapter 2. 34, and I started with verse 27. Okay. And then the one, the Masveh Pasuk is verse 33, right at the end. Okay? Now, when Moshe dies, who is charged with carrying on, or being the keeper of the covenant? Devarim Lamed Aleph. Yoshua is charged with fighting and, and, and conquering land. Yoshua is charged, Moshe's, Moshe's role is bifurcated, and now he has one person that's going to deal with the political end of things to a degree. But look in Parak Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Tet, and it says as follows. Here, you can even start with Pasuk Zion, for those of you who thought that it was Yoshua. Chapter 31, right? Moshe is coming close to the end of his days, and it says, Pasuk Zion, verse 7, what is Yoshua being charged with? Yoshua's job is primarily what? Conquer the land. But what about the covenant? Who's holding the contract? Who's going to be the what are the Kohanim charged with? They are the keepers of that law. They are the keepers of the covenant. Why? Because where does the covenant go? In the Aron Ha Brit. Aron Habrit, the Ark of the Covenant. It's not the Ark of Spirituality. It's not the Ark. It's Aron Habrit. It is literally the place where we put the Brits between us and Hashem. We're going to jump out of the Mishkan, even though we have the parallel here. But it's even more powerful to see it in Malachim when, Sh when Shlomo builds his Beit HaMikdash. 
Okay, because here you might argue, oh, of course the Aron is the most fancy thing in this whole tent, so it's not so impressive. Shlomo builds this, this monster of a temple complex. Okay, it was one of the most beautiful buildings. Actually, if anyone just saw, total tangent, but everyone has to go on, they had it in all the news outlets, they just found a really big, really impressive temple complex right outside of, outside of where the Beit HaMikdash was, right outside of Ir David. So it's really fascinating and... Mozart's right, it's not a far, it's a couple of kilometers from Jerusalem. Um, we don't know if it's pagan, right? Meaning it could have been a, meaning, we don't, I'll, I'll say this. We don't know just because there were pagan relics, that means it wasn't an Israelite temple. We'll say it like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying, because that's what meaning when Yoshiyahu and Chizkiyahu make their reforms, it was twofold. It was you need to only worship here in the center, and you also have to stop with all the other stuff that you're doing on the side. Is that open to the public? I don't know if it is yet. I don't think so, but it's so crazy. Meaning they found other places where people were worshiping over the years, but to find... This is a major... Yeah, and built the same way. Like, we know the Beit HaMikdash had the Kodesh, and then the Kodesh Kodashim, and it was west, you know, it was on the eastern axis... So we know that there are other parallel temples in the world at the time that looked like that. I brought in the past pictures of the Ain Dara temple and in Syria there were other temples that looked like the Beit HaMikdash from our, but to have one so close to the Beit HaMikdash is, is totally pretty crazy. So we'll have to see what the, what the archeologists dig up. Um, but that being said, everyone go to Malachim Parakhet, Kings chapter eight. Chapter eight, Malachim Aleph, yeah, okay. The most exciting day in Israel. We are now finally independent in our land. Shlomo has created safe borders for the most part. We are financially stable, right? Everything you could possibly need. Parachet. Az yakel Shlomo et ziknei Yisrael et kol rashei hamatot nesiei ha'avot livnei Yisrael el hamelech Shlomo Yerushalayim. Okay, he's bringing everyone. And what's the point? Laha'alot et aron brit Hashem meir David hitzion. The whole purpose of all of this, of getting the archaea architects from Tyr and from bringing these cedars from from the from the forests, what was it all for? To have an appropriate place for aron brit Hashem. Vayikalu el hamelach Shlomo kol ish Yisrael biyerecha itanim bechag hu hakodesh hashvi'i. Again, if it were about the physical temple, right, we would imagine that the focus would be on the glory of the temple. The focus is on the movement of the Aron from outside into its proper resting place in Kodesh Kodeshim. They're having sacrifices. You can't even count how much is going on because this was the most exciting day. They put the Aron in its place. El Dvir Habayit. El Kodesh HaKodashim. Right, we're moving in. We have the Dvir and then so we're moving in further and further. El Tachat Kanfei HaKruvim under the wings. So it almost seems actually that the wings were already independently built and the Aron was placed underneath them. Ki HaKruvim Porsim Knafayim El Mekom HaAron. 
Vayasoku hakrovim al haaron, ve'al badav milamala, so the kruvim are there and they're hovering over the aron. Vayarichu habadim, vayirau rashe habadim, etc., etc. And jump down to Pasuk 9. Ein ba'aron, what's in this aron that we're making such a big deal about? Malachim is reminding us. Ein ba'aron, rak luchot ha'avanim, asher hiniach sham Moshe b'chorev, asher karat Hashem in b'nei Yisrael, b'tzaitam mimitzrayim. That's it. As soon as they go out, once again, which Anan? Where did we see this Anan before? Well, in the Midbar, Matan Torah, anytime God is going, right? God's divine presence rests. It's symbolized in this. And then they had to go, because once the Shekhinah the is there, they have to get the heck out of there. Adamar Shlomo, Amar Hashem Amar Lishkon Ba'arafel, Bano Vaniti Baitz Beit Zvul Lach Machon Lishiftecha Olamim, Vayaseb HaMelech Et Pana, Vayivarech Et Kol Kehal Yisrael, Vechol Kehal Yisrael Omeid. And they all get up, and they stand up, and he goes on and on, and the entire parak is all about him talking about this Beit HaMikdash that has been built, solely for the purpose of housing the Aron Habrit. Okay. Go back now to this question. We said the Aron, or the, the, the Kohanim, right, are the what? What is the, fun, what is the job, how do we term the job of the Kohanim? Go to Shmot Lamed Vav, Exodus 36. So they're certainly the teachers, they're the keepers, Shomreha, right, they're the, the keepers of the law. But what do we, how do we refer to the, what they're, because now we're going back to the question, right? Sacrifices, we said, the Nevi'im all talk, Hashem doesn't need the sacrifices. Hashem is not in this place. All those things that we say, Hashem is not, not, not. And yet, here we are with all of these prakim telling us how to do it, even though there's no necessity for it. So how do we wrestle those two ideas? So if we look and we understand that the Aron Habrit is the centerpiece, okay? And the Kohanim are doing what? Everything they're doing in the Mikdash is referred to with what word? Shmot Lamed Vav. What do we call them? What they do? Excellent. Okay. Don't have to switch if it's going to get too annoying to switch. I'll just read the pasuk. Sorry, Lamed Vav. And I gave you the wrong pasuk. How did I do that? Sorry. Oh, because I'm in Vav Midbar. That's how. Sorry. Shmot Lamed Vav. The word that is used, and it's used consistently, we have it in Bamidbar as well, for what the Kohanim do is, it says, take all the donations of the people, what the Kohanim do is called Avodah. And in Shmot Lamidvav, Pasuk Gimel. And we have later on in Bamidbar, we have the same language. Go to Bamidbar, Perak Gimel, chapter 3. It says the same thing in Pasuk Zion, verse 7. It says, Vishamru et mishmarto, et mishmeret kol ha'ida, lifnei ohel mo'ed. Why? What do the Kohanim have to do? La'avod et avodat ha'mishkan. Where else, where's the first time we see the word Avodah in Tanakh? 
Go all the way back now to Bereshit Parak Bet. And if you're getting tired of flipping, I'll just read the. We did just No! Get out of here! Seriously? Oh, I promise you, it's not. That's so funny. That's really, really funny. Parak Bet, that was Bamidbar Gimel. Go to Bereshit Bet. Okay. And it says as follows, Hashem created the world, but it's not functioning yet. Why is the physical world that God created, and again, if you jump back to the Pesukim, we started the class, Hashem looked and the world is great, the world is perfect, everything is tam mushla, everything is tov. So why isn't it fully functioning yet? Because, Terem Yitzmach. Terem means not yet. The potential was underground. It hadn't yet started to flourish. Why? Kilohim tir Hashem elokim al haaretz. Because the rain hadn't come yet. Ve Adam ayin laavod et ha'adama. Man had not yet. So what's our job here in this world? But there's something else that's right. Hold on, hold on. What's our, what's our job in this world? Okay. To keep the physical world running. But we also know that if the physical world is going to keep running, go back to Noah, what else do we need? Law. Okay. Now, go to, and then Hashem, of course, in the next, right, when Hashem puts Adam into Gan Eden, it says, Vayikach Hashem, verse, Sunni, verse 15, in that same parak. But even once we were kicked out of Gan Eden, in the very next parak, Pasuk Chaf Gimel, verse 23, it says, The word Avodah is consistent. Human beings, our job is to keep this physical world running. God created the world, but we need to tap into its physical potential in order to keep it running. Now go back and tell me if the Mishkan is a microcosm, and there's a Brit for humanity here, there's a universal Brit in order for the world to function physically, then we need to and then the seasons will be, right? You got to have some universal rules. So if that's the case, now go to the microcosm, the mikdash that is the mini-universe unique to Israel because God made us kadosh. So what's the job of the kohanim? We're not maintaining the physical universe, so to speak. What are we maintaining? How do we do that? What's with the breed, which is housed in here, okay? The breed of the Torah, okay? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But okay, might be But how is it that like God is creating humans or creating the world to be worked by humans, but then putting them in Gan Eden where they don't have to work? It's like almost like a Um. So, because I think the Gan Eden story is sort of this little parenthetical. Like, I. I, I, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. But it's been driving Shot down. Yes. For a while. This yes. The, 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 wild um, the name that the neighbors gave to Boaz and Nomi's son was Ovid. Ah. And he brings in the next stage of kingship. That's interesting. Of covenant. That's interesting. That's, That's interesting. 
I mean, you, you, there are no coincidences in these. Correct. Oh, that's interesting. I like that a lot. One more really important thing, okay? We get kicked out of Gan Eden, okay? And what did we say? It's not about original sin. It's not about carnal knowledge. It's not about fall from grace, right? We're Jewish. We have a very different take on this whole story. What did we say the whole idea of getting kicked out of this world is all about? It means we can't ever go back into Gan Eden. Why? Because, well, okay, so excellent. Hold that. Because what's in Gan Eden? It's a Immortality. Remember? The tree of life. And Hashem says, I can't have them having the tree of life because that's in Gan Eden. So go back to Paragimel for one second. Pasuk Chafdalet. Right after we're told, work the land out there, we're also told we have no access to what's inside. And what does he put to mark the boundary between where humanity is going to exist and where this mythical tree is? Okay. This is where eternal life is. We can't cross that boundary because Hashem puts the kruvim. And of course, as we all know, what was the one picture that was on the parochet and as we just read is guarding the aron, the kruvim. Okay. But what, what does this all mean? Put this all together. What is happening? Hashem is saying we have the entire universe. The universe is where humanity is going to exist. And I am charging all of humanity. It's not specific to us. The Torah doesn't start with us. The Torah starts with humanity wholesale. I am charging humanity. Noah's children who are going to abide. You guys have to tend to earth. You have to make sure, right? Keep it running. Keep the world running physically. It's a great, it's a great global warming this year if anyone wants to adapt it. Okay. What about this? What is the Mishkanet? If humanity la'avda'u the physical world, what is the abuda' of the kohanim? Why are they bringing korbanot? We know Hashem is not capricious and we don't need to make him happy by bringing animals and we don't sacrifice things because we want it to make him happy so he makes the land fertile. So what is the purpose of the abuda' in the mishkan? What does it symbolize? What is it a manifestation of? Connection, the conduit. Okay, excellent. Connection, conduit, what else? Okay, it's a glimmer. I would say Gan Eden. Hold the Gan Eden. Let's just first go back to what the sacrifice. What do, what do I bring sacrifices for? It's all about the cup. If I sin, I have to bring a korban chatat. If Am Yisrael, right, Yom Kippur is all about recalibrating, clean, cleansing, or purifying the mikdash from all the sins. The avodah of the kohanim is to, just like human beings have to right, maintain this physical breed, the Avodah the Kohanim is to ensure that the breach between us and God is maintained. And that's why they are the keepers of the law, and that's why they are the ones that teach the law. Right? We didn't have local Orthodox excuse me, rabbis in the land when we got there. It was the Kohanim. That's why they didn't have a territory. Because everyone needed a local Kohen to go and say, hey, is this speck, um, yeah, is this just eczema or is this tarat? Or what do I do because my uh, wife had a baby this many days ago and is she still Tameh or does she have to go to me? Everyone went to their local Kohen to ask. Because at the end of the day, right, we can never gain immortality. But what can we gain through the proper maintenance of our relationship with Hashem and the proper maintenance of the breath that he gave us? What can we get? We will never have immortality. 
Kedusha and what else? Go to Dvarim It's all at the very end when Moshe is summarizing it all. What are we choosing between? We are choosing what? Dvarim Yudalif, chapter 11, verse 26. Moshe is standing there and giving them the option. The option is stick with the covenant or don't. And what are the what happens if you do and if you don't? Right? It's not about punishment. It's not, and don't think it, I think if we sort of rethink how it's not just punishment, blessing, will my land produce, will my land not produce, right? That's the most obvious, I think, manifestation of Rachan Kala. But what Hashem is essentially saying is we all think that what we want is, is eternal life. Right? Hashem is saying eternal life doesn't exist. You're going to live in a very harsh world where really, really harsh realities and there's going to be pain in childbirth and there's going to be en- enmity between the animal kingdom and humans and between male and female and brothers are going to be killing each other in competition for God's love. All of that exists here. So how do I create bracha in this universe? So then we narrow it down to this microcosm of the universe. And what Hashem is essentially giving us and when he calls it a brit with us, Right? But it's an oath for the other nations. And the notion of Orla Goyim is essentially what Hashem is giving us in the Brit is a way to make this world that's harsh and competitive and difficult and comes with all the things it comes with a place where we can generate bracha. And we do that by maintaining the covenant. The Kohanim are there to recalibrate when things go wrong. They're there to foster that Brit, to teach us the laws, to maintain the purity, to maintain that we're going to get to all that stuff to maintain all of that so that we can create in this world the bracha that we're looking for. So it goes all the way back to Breshit, because in Breshit we realize we're not going to live forever. And so what the Mishkan says is, but here's how you're going to make your time here meaningful. And the Kohanim are going to ensure that it runs smoothly, and that's what you're going to do. I'll finish with just one really, really interesting herak. Um, that again, I think we, we read and just don't even appreciate how profoundly the Nivim were building or how profoundly I think people understood the Mishkan to be this little microcosm of the universe. Go to Yirmiyahu Parag Dalet for a second. Yirmiyahu Dalet, Jeremiah 4. And look how Yirmiyahu talks, okay, about sin and about what sin is, right? We think of sin as something bad Hashem's going to... Sin means we've reached that covenant. It means that we have removed that ability to generate the bracha that we're looking to generate in the world. So go to Yirmiyahu, Paragdalid, go to Pasuk Chafbet, verse 22. And look at how Yirmiyahu, when Hashem is complaining about Hashem, look at how he articulates it. Ki evilami. My people, they're so stupid. But what does that mean, stupid? It's not an IQ thing. It means what? Foolish. It's not using the knowledge. Someone hands you the recipe for something, and I'm like, nah, I could do different. I could do. It's not going to work. Okay? Ki evil ami, oti lo yada'u, vanim schalim hema. They're so foolish. Vilo nivonim hema. They're not navon. They don't understand one thing from the next. Chachamim heima leheira, right? They have a high IQ, but they're not tapping into what they should be tapping into. Ulehitiv lo yadau. 
okay? They don't know how to make things better. They don't know how to do right. Pasachot Gimel. And so what happens when we don't do this? What happens when we don't maintain the covenant, when we don't use the knowledge that Hashem gave us and put into the arrow? The El Hashemayim, the Eino Ram. Ra'iti, right? I go, it's going to go back to Tohu Vavohu. There's not going to be any light. Hashem is going back to the beginnings of creation, or Yirmiyahu, right? Poetically, is invoking this state of what? Total chaos. The world cannot function. The world needs two things to function. It needs us to physically work the land, but it needs us to spiritually work it. Ra'iti heharim v'hinei roashim v'chol hagbo'otit kalkalu. Ra'iti v'hinei ein ha'adam v'chol ochashamayim nadadu. It's depicting a, pl- a time when the universe is just going to go back to what it was before Hashem put everything in it. And again, it's that perfect link. Here, hear me, I was drawn from everything we were talking about. The link between creation and fostering a healthy world versus choosing not to listen to the breeds, not to tap into that knowledge that Hashem gave us. And the ability Hashem gave us to, right, to really, to, again, we can't cross the parochet, but the knowledge that's hidden in there is in fact what? That's the irony. We're not allowed to cross the parochet. Hashem's divine presence is there. But the tree of life, we will never touch. We can't ever get it. The luchot are put in the aron, but it's accessible. Moshe said it over to us. The Kohanim are taught the words of the Torah. So symbolically, the covenant is put away behind the parochet, but we all have access to it. Okay? And that's the big difference between the Kruvim in Breshit and the Kruvim in, in Vayikra. And that's really where Hashem is saying it's all going to be. One more pasuk from Yeshayahu, and then we'll end with that. Yeshayahu Chafdalet, chapter 24. And again, it's just nice when we see poetically that the Nivim. Right? If you have a hunch that there's an idea that's, that's there in Tanakh, but you're not sure if the Nevi'im use the same thing, then you know you're... Parak uh, Chavdalid, chapter, uh, verse 1. Okay, look at what Hashem, look at what Yishayo says. Hashem, Hashem is just going to strip the earth bare. Why? Uvolka v'izafa neha v'hifitzio shveha v'haya ka'am ka'kohen ka'eved ka'adonav Kashifcha kigvirta, kakone kamocher, kimalve kalove, kanoshek asher banosei. He's giving all of these right parallels. The earth is going to be, it's, it's as if it's the, everyone is going to be, everyone's going to have the same fate. No one is going to be exempt. Habok, Sorry, where are you? Uh, now verse 3 in chapter 24. Haaretz, And he goes on and he lists what did we do wrong? Listing all of the ways the world is just going to be thrown back into non-creation. Why? Because there's a covenant Hashem gave us as human beings, and we just let it go. And so it's not just an impact. We think in modern, I think we think in modern times, in terms of sin, is a very personal thing. We think of our relationship with Hashem as very personal, and it is, right? Our relationship with Hashem and our own personal growth is all really, really important. 
but the Torah focuses on our role as part of a nation and part of a human race. And the things that we do when we are keeping the laws of the Torah, we're not just doing it for ourselves. We are doing it because we believe that everything is connected in this universe and we want the universe to be healthy, spiritually, physically, etc. So that is where the Mikdash comes in. We are not trying to appease a capricious God. We are trying to maintain a Brit, and Mikdash is the manifestation of that maintenance of the Brit and the recalibration when it needs to be recalibrated. So we'll pick up next week, uh, next week, yeah, with uh, next week, and then there's vacation, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so we'll pick up next week. We're going to introduce Vayikra and the ritual process, etc., etc. And have a great day.